morning, church family. I have an opportunity now to get right with God through the use of 1 John 1.9, uh, which says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do this so that we can recover the filling ministry of God the Holy Spirit, thus allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us and to illuminate the truths that we're going to look at this morning. So let's just pause for a moment of silence and then I'll open the prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to assemble together in privacy with no danger around us. And we believe that's as a result of your sovereign hand upon us. So we're grateful, Father, that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask all of these things through Christ's matchless name, in which we pray. Amen. Our call to worship is taken from Psalms 70, which says the following. It's a Psalms of David, Psalm of David. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused, who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame, who say, Aha, aha. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, Let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to be able to assemble together once again to engage with your word. We know that this is the highest form of worship, where we worship you in spirit and in truth. So help us now through God the Holy Spirit to understand the things that we're going to look at. We ask and pray these things through Christ's matchless name. Amen. Okay, we're trekking through phase two. This is a series on basics. And you'll recall that uh, the idea of discipleship is wanting. I'll quote, I will cite um, Dwight Pentecost again. Says the following so that you can see the importance of this. We've covered several months of salvation, uh, the subject of salvation, and now we're moving through discipleship. And Dr. Pentecost says the following, The subject of discipleship is frequently discussed today, which is good. Men are called to become disciples without any definition of the concept and without clarification of the requirements the Lord makes on those who are his disciples. Discipleship, here's what catches my attention here. Discipleship is frequently equated with salvation and often erroneously made a condition for becoming a Christian. Thus, many are confused about their relationship to Jesus Christ. That's taken from Dr. Pentecost's book called Design for Discipleship. So, you'll recall uh, I put some verses up here on the front last week. Let me see if you guys remember what we covered here. 
Anybody recall what we said about Luke 9.23, which says the following? Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Anybody remember the three uh, directives here? What is Jesus asking for? Very good. So, he gives three explicit instructions on discipleship. Anyone desiring to follow him must deny himself. That means to not think about his own good. Take up his cross daily, which is a willingness to follow Christ to death if necessary. Recognize the trouble related with one's chosen way of life and follow Jesus. And these directives move beyond belief in Christ. Jesus warned that following him would necessitate suffering and hardship. So deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. How about this verse here? Luke 14, 26. Any, anybody remember what the focus here or what one word we use to describe Luke 14, 26? What is it called? If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my what? Disciples. Are you serious? What? He cannot be my disciples. Well, I had said last week, the phrase to hate one's family and life refers to a cognizant effort in placing all in second place to Jesus. Is that how we live? Do we put all second place to Christ? But not to seek hatred or encourage neglect or inflict harm on oneself or others. This is called a hyperbole to drive a point home. Jesus Christ must be preeminent. He must be first. The point here is that Jesus deserves precedence over any other relationship. If you must choose, looking at this verse, between Jesus and a family member, Jesus should take priority. Does that make sense? He has to be first. Does that mean you can't love your family? Your wife, husband, son, daughter? Of course not. We're commanded to love, right? But as far as discipleship is concerned, he must come first. This is the cost for discipleship. If you don't hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, you can't be my disciple. It's pretty clear. You don't have to exegete this. It's clear even in the English. Jesus first. That is the mark of a disciple. Someone who is going to follow Jesus. I think this is what's missing in a lot of churches today. We have all the doctrine stored up in our soul, but we don't have the commitment where he is first before all things, including family. That doesn't mean shy or ignore the welfare of your family. It just means put God first above all things. And that is what is sorely lacking today. Think of what happened in 9-11. What happened in 9-11 to the Twin Towers? It was destroyed by who? Allah. Followers of Allah. Were they committed? Why the heck can't we commit like that? Those guys trained in the airports. They were deceptive in their approach. But their high level of commitment to Allah was such that they went through all sorts of training, deception to get to where they can bring honor 
and glory to Allah. What about the believers in Christ? What about the local churches today? Are we willing to commit at that kind of level? Sometimes we frown upon coming to church, opening our Bibles. That's a shame. Jesus said, you must put me first above all, which means father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, take second to me. Otherwise, and even your life, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. And we can see even with the cults and even with other systems of faith, there are people out there who are willing to even lay their own lives down literally and crash into two towers and say, all this for Allah. What about the Christians today? What about the believers today? Are we ramping up in that that kind of level of commitment? That's what we must do. I'm not suggesting that we crash into the Twin Towers or anything like that. But we certainly should have a level of commitment to Jesus Christ so that the world would know that we're followers of Him. It's one thing to be a hearer of the Word, but it's quite another to be a doer. And we're lacking sorely compared to cults and other systems out there who are willing to commit and lay their own lives down if need be. So I use that as an example not to bring pain, but to show you that there are some who are not even of the true faith of God who are willing to do whatever it takes to bring honor to their God. And we should do nothing less. Nothing less. So, if you must choose, looking at this verse here, Luke fourteen twenty six, if you must choose between Jesus and a family member, Jesus should take priority. That's based on the few verses that we're looking at now. And look at what it says here. It reinforces and buttresses the previous verse. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Again, we can see this the importance of putting Christ first. Putting him first. That's the commitment and the cost of discipleship, brethren. Those online and here in person. We must put Christ first before all relationships. All horizontal relationships should take second to the vertical relationship with God. My point here is if followers of Christ are faced to choose between family members and Christ based on Matthew 10.37, they must choose Christ. The maltreatment they may be facing, even among family, must be met by committed discipleship. So regardless of the tension that sometimes comes with family, we must commit to discipleship, putting Christ first. If not, these believers are disqualified as disciples. The context is specifically a commitment to discipleship, which is a lifestyle of faithful obedience when you really bottom line it. You'll recall this is the the uh, three tenses of salvation and what was it that Dwight Pentecost said was blurred today? What two are sometimes blurred? Phase one and two. Phase one is on the bottom left how one becomes a Christian or a believer. It's free doesn't cost anything. All you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and you're regenerated. You are born from above. You're heaven bound. That's fantastic news. However, phase two, which is also part of salvation, is discipleship. That is costly. To be a Christian is free. To be a disciple requires sacrifice. Putting you, putting Christ first even before family. And in phase two, as you'll recall, you're being saved from the power of sin. And this is the mark of disciple. So remember, we went through a chart 
And I'm going to review this again because this is something that we're going to drill for the next maybe two or three weeks and then we'll introduce more verses and uh, passages related to discipleship. But for now, the distinction between the two, I think I wanted to drive this home so that we're crystal clear, kind of like salvation. Salvation is free on the left without a price. You find this in Romans 6.23, 1 Peter 1, 18-19, 1 Corinthians 6.20. But salvation is certainly not cheap. Uh, Theron, could you read 1 Peter 1, 18-19? And Bill, 1 Corinthians 6.20? Salvation is free and without... No, the passage, uh, 1 Peter 1. Okay, it's okay. First uh, Corinthians six twenty. So we're going to look at how salvation is free, but not cheap. So Bill has First Corinthians six twenty, and Theron First Peter one eighteen to nineteen. Please. Yes, go ahead. Okay, for you have been bought with price, therefore glorify God in your body. You've been bought with a price, therefore, as such, glorify God with what? In your body, with your life, in other words. Since you've been purchased, we ought to glorify God in our life. And first Corinthians, uh, first Peter 1, 18 to 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The precious blood of Christ. So it's free to us, but it was not cheap. It costs God the Father His Son. And as such, we ought to glorify Him with our lives, as per 1 Corinthians 6.20. On the right side, discipleship is costly and the cost must be counted, as we've seen in Luke 14, 25 to 33. On the left, category salvation, it takes place instantly. Whereas discipleship, it's a process, a lifelong process. John 8, 31, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. So, salvation on the left requires simply believing in Christ. You find this in Acts 16, 30 and 31. Whereas, discipleship is about following Christ. See the difference between the two? Believing in Christ, following Christ. Believing in Christ gets you to be a part of the family of God. You're adopted into the royal family of God. That's category salvation. Whereas discipleship is all about following Christ. Um, Bill, can you read Matthew 4, 18 to 22, please? Matthew 4, 18 to 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left their boat and father and followed him. It's examples of discipleship. It's a tall order. So again, salvation is easy. All you got to do is believe in Jesus Christ. Discipleship requires obedience, following him and learning from him. As per Matthew 4.18, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Salvation is coming to Christ and finding rest from the burden of sin, Matthew 11.28. And in Matthew 11.29, you find discipleship following afterwards. It's taking Christ's yoke and learning from him, 
So finding rest and then learning from Him. Salvation involves loving, Christ loving me. Let's look at Romans 5.8. We're going to contrast that with discipleship. <clears throat> Romans 5.8 says the following. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So with salvation, it involves Christ loving us. Whereas in discipleship, Matthew 10.37, it requires me or us loving Christ. Matthew 10.37 says the following. I think I may have used it. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Very good. Thank you, Theron. So you can, again, we saw the, our responsibility now is loving Christ. That's discipleship. Whereas for salvation, it's Christ loving me. The shift, the emphasis on salvation is Christ loving us. Discipleship is us loving Christ above all. A saved person is one who simply believes in the gospel. A disciple is one who abides in Christ's word, John 8.31. So believing the gospel and abiding in it, John 8.31. Remember I pointed out last week, for salvation, when a person believes in Christ, has eternal life, they're possessing eternal life, whereas discipleship, now you're stewarding the relationship. Remember, eternal life, by definition, when we looked at John 17.3, says the following. It's a stewardship of, the, of a relationship between the believer or the disciple and the Father in Christ. This is eternal life, John 17.3. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's this ongoing stewarding of the relationship between the disciple and the Father and Jesus Christ. That they may know you, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So that's discipleship. With salvation, the believer escapes the great white throne judgment. In Revelation 2015, we see the following. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So, we escape that. But we also have another judgment. This is the judgment for the believer. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15, as well as 2 Corinthians 5, 10. That, it's commonly known as the Bema Seat Judgment, the Bema. In the Great White Throne Judgment, what are the unbelievers going to be judged for? What What's going to be judged? Do you guys recall? They're human works. What about in the Bema? For the believer in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. What are we going to get judged for? Works. Spiritual production. Both are going to be judged for works. The unbeliever is going to get judged for works that are going to fall short of his righteousness, whereas the believer is going to get judged for the works done under the influence of God, the Holy Spirit, which in turn will be rewardable Gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, depending on the motive and whether or not they're doing it in the energy of the flesh or the filling ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. 
So there's two judgments, one for the unbeliever and one for the believer. We are going to get judged for good works. With salvation, a saved person, remember I was going to make an adjustment to this, and this is the adjustment. Just I realized that it really still falls under salvation, but it's phase two. Romans 10.13, if you want to turn there. This is a verse that is sometimes used for salvation phase one. Remember what Pentecost said, they blur the two? Well, here's a verse that is sometimes used for phase one salvation. If you look at Romans 10.13, you'll recall it says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It sounds like this is how a person can get saved, phase one. Right? Whoever can call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But as I pointed out last week, this is really referring to the believer, not the unbeliever. Because when you go to the context of it all, and you notice, first of all, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, that they may be saved. But if you look at 14, he clarifies how they can call upon him. Verse 14 says the following. Romans 10.14 How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? So you can see the progression here. That no one can call upon the Lord who hasn't first believed in him. Unbelievers just do not naturally call upon the name of the Lord or call on the Lord until they first believe. That's the argument here. That's why Romans 10.13 is not a salvific uh, invitation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Paul is talking to the brethren saying that, you know, it's kind of like what I said last week. If all of you are going through hardship and you're complaining about where is the deliverance, how come I'm going through all this crud when in fact you haven't gotten on your knees and prayed to God, then you have not called upon the name of the Lord. You haven't called upon him. And that's what Paul is saying here. you got to call on him so that phase two will become a reality in your life. You will be delivered as you call upon him as per Romans 10:13 So on the left a saved person possesses Christ 1 John 5:12 on the right side under discipleship a disciple forsakes possessions on the left uh, the salv- a person who is saved is being saved being saved involves trusting Whereas under discipleship, being a disciple involves training. So as a believer, you trust. In as, as a disciple, you train. You train in the Word. That's the primary difference between the two. For salvation, it's receiving God's gift. With discipleship, involves receiving God's instruction. Acts 2.42 as contrasted with John 1.12 and Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Remember, every believer measures up to the full demands of God's righteousness as per 2 Corinthians 5.21 which says the following. This is all as a result of our position in Christ says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we measure up to the full demands of God's righteousness in the person of Christ because we receive the imputation of his righteousness at the moment of faith. 
Whereas discipleship, the believers often do not measure up to the full demands of discipleship as as described in Luke 14, 25 to 30. Are we putting him first above family? We don't always do that, and that's where we blunder. Salvation involves one's standing in Christ. That's one's perfect position in him. Remember that there is the standing in Adam. When we are unregenerate, we are positionally in Adam. And our goal and objective is to win people to Christ so that they can be in Christ, the second Adam. Whereas discipleship involves one state, the actual practice or condition. So that's our lifestyle, whereas salvation is our standing or our position. Are we in Christ or in Adam? Discipleship is our state or practice on a daily basis. Now, with salvation, the emphasis is upon what God has done, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. With discipleship, the emphasis is upon what man must do, as found in Luke 14, again, 25-33, putting him first above all. Now, when it comes to salvation, the focus is upon the work of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.18. With discipleship, the focus is upon the word of Christ. So it's a different W word. The work versus the word. The word of Christ is the focus as in salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18 In discipleship, it's the word of Christ. So the work versus the word. Under salvation, it's God's commitment to his word based on the work of his son, Romans 3.24, whereas discipleship is the believer's commitment to Christ's word based on his relationship to Christ, John 6.68. The bottom there of salvation. The saved person is a saint, 1 Corinthians 1.2. It's a a position shared equally by all believers. We're all saints. Equal status. But a disciple, also known as a student, there's going to be times where some are advancing and going to higher grounds at an accelerated pace depending on their commitment level. The cost. Each one of you are going to prioritize and commit at varying degrees. And as such, Some believers are better students than others. Some of you are going to outpace the other person next to you or in front of you or behind you, depending on your commitment level. But as a saint, we're all the same. No one is better than the other, except Dan. I think Dan is the highest saint there. But other than that... As disciples, some are going to learn better, some are going to commit more, and some are going to prioritize God in a way that will earn them gold, silver, and precious stones only to be revealed at the Bema, at the Bema seat of Christ. Moving on, on the left side with salvation, it's an invitation to come unto me. Whereas discipleship is come after me. So John 6.37, Matthew 11.28, for salvation come unto me. Whereas discipleship is come after me. Luke 9.23. Salvation is simply belief in Christ. John, 1 John 3.23a and John 3.36. Whereas discipleship requires obedience to all of his commands as seen in Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And that is a verse that we're going to unpack in the very near future as well because that's another verse or passage that talks about discipleship. On the left side, salvation is the believer hearing his word and believing on him. Whereas discipleship is the believer sitting at his feet and hearing his word. Luke 10, 39. The believer on the left side under salvation is never instructed to obey the demands of discipleship in order to be saved. This would be salvation by works or LS. 
known as Lordship Salvation. An example of that that is commonly uh, brought out in a lot of churches is, I don't see fruit. I don't see fruit in your life. You are obviously not saved. So they're blurring this. And so they're using obedience that's in the category of discipleship as a condition for being a Christian. And that's blurred. Discipleship following Christ is discipleship. We have to keep that clear. Salvation, on the other hand, is based on regeneration. It's a faith. It's a moment of faith in the person of Christ, which does not require any overt actions at all. It's not based on external acts or any behavior change at all. Only discipleship requires that. So if you're not, if, let's just say, Let's just say you're buying a lotto ticket. Some would frown upon that and say you're not a mature Christian because you are not showing that you're committed to Christ. That's discipleship versus they're blurring the condition for what entails being a Christian versus a follower of Christ where he puts all things second to the person of Christ. So... That's why I I, uh, think that this is very, very important because many Christians today are confused between the two. And the believer seeks on the right side under discipleship to fulfill the demands of discipleship because he's saved. This is being saved unto good works. This is Ephesians 2.10. So the believer on the left side is never instructed to obey the demands of discipleship, whereas on the right side under discipleship, we're to fulfill all of the demands because we are saved, saved unto good works. Bottom of of the left side chart there, salvation involves faith in Christ, John 3.16, John 6.40 and 47. It's all about believing in Christ. Whereas discipleship involves doing, not just hearing the word, as we've seen in the past with John 1.22. Don't be hearers only, but doers of the word. Top left, under salvation, we have God's salvation is perfect, lacking nothing. Colossians 2.10 1 Corinthians 1.30 Whereas discipleship, it's measuring up in discipleship is less than perfect, but I press on. Philippians 3 reminds us of the following. Where Paul says, That I do not already attain or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it's a pressing on, moving forward, advancing to higher ground. But salvation in the middle there, middle chart on the left side, to be saved, a person must believe on Jesus Christ. John 3.16, Acts 16.31, the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is a one-time Moment of faith, never to be repeated, never to be lost. You can't lose the gift. You cannot lose salvation. Whereas on the right side, under discipleship, to be a disciple, a person must continue in Christ's word, love Christ supremely, deny self, as we've seen in Luke, forsake all that he possesses, Bear his cross daily, 
And the requirements of discipleship are many and they are difficult. Extremely challenging. It's the prioritizing of God before all things. Bottom of the left chart there. Discipleship and all that is involved is not a requirement for salvation. Whereas on the right side, discipleship is a privilege of every saved person. Help me clarify this, someone, anyone. What do I mean on the bottom left there? If you're to explain this to your friend or visitor, discipleship is not a requirement for salvation. What would you say? How would you explain that to your your friend who's coming to church? Thoughts, comments? You say it's uh, more of a, a one-shot decision that a person makes. Okay, a one one-shot decision. Right. Very good. Okay. Very good. Keep being saved or yeah. be believing. Very good. That's exactly what I'm saying there. On the bottom left, it's a it's not a requirement for salvation. Discipleship requires. On the other hand, Everett, how about the right side? Discipleship. Uh, you can say that's that's. <clears throat> Okay. Now let me open this up to the rest of you all here. Why is it that you think that we're lacking, when I say we, I'm not saying necessarily in here, in national, but why are the churches anemic when it comes to putting him first? It's hard, okay. What else? Because this is sorely lacking in churches. It's easy to be saved, right? It's a one-time transaction. But following the colors, following Christ is different on the other hand. But why do we have a lack of commitment and loyalty and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is that? Okay, what, what, repeat that one more time, Mike. Competing interests and priorities. Excellent. So, what do we have to do to fix that, you think? Why can't, the competing interests, I, I totally agree with that. What do we have to do so that Christ can be preeminent? You remember what I said before? We always hear people saying, Bible doctrine, Bible doctrine, first, 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 doctrine first. And that's fine. But you know the missing element in a lot of the Bible teaching churches is discipleship. That's the missing link in a lot of churches. I'm pointing at myself when I say that. I'm not point, I'm not addressing any particular church. But discipleship is sorely lacking. The commitment levels of the typical believer is wanting, lacking terribly. That's why I use the 9-11 example. We have people who snuck on planes, was willing to crash and commit suicide themselves. Whereas for the average Christian today, there's no... Level of commitment. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? Mike, did you have a follow-up on that? Okay. Debbie? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Good. Okay, very good. So, 
We definitely have to put on the full armor of God. But you see, we've been going through salvation. We've been going through basics. And now I'm, I created a chart to distinguish salvation and discipleship. So I know that you guys have got this down. I don't doubt in my mind that you know the difference between salvation and discipleship. But even the professor of a premier seminary, Dwight Pentecost, Dallas Theological Seminary, said, Christians have these two confused. Is this why our culture is diminishing and declining at a rapid rate? The churches are not being the salt and light of the community? We're supposed to make an impact. But it really depends on our priority. What are our priorities? There's interest, conflicting interest. I like what, I like that, Mike. Conflicting interest. Why? Why should anything conflict with our interest and our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ? Why? What do we have to do? Any, any thoughts, comments? What can we do? This place should be full. We should be inviting people to church. I realize that um, church is for uh, a place to edify the believers in Christ. But the truth is, sometimes by inviting them to church, they can get exposed to the gospel message. And so I'm a firm believer that we should be inviting people to church. Invite them over to church. Let them know, hey, we've got a place where we're learning something. It's not just, you know, about uh, the baby in the manger. It's about content. It's about, did you know that even though you've, you're all tatted up and you um, you listen to secular music, it's okay that you can still be in good terms with God because it requires faith alone in Jesus Christ alone because we're not going to sit there and say unless you change your life and listen to Christian music only, hymns only, you're not saved. There's a lot of people who are lost out there who will not step foot in the church because they're afraid we're going to judge them based on what they've heard in the past. That's just the facts. Oh, Daisy? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes. Those who are saved are expected to be disciples. Very good. Very good. You're right. They're not one and the same. I mentioned last week um, there's a professor in Talbot Seminary who wrote a book where he says every Christian is a disciple. And I disagree with that. And I pointed out that Judas was all the, he was a disciple, but he was not clean as per John 13. So he was not regenerate. Very good, Daisy. That's right. Yes. Yes. That is so true. Right? So say that one more time, Daisy. They don't think... Is saved. Yeah. But then now I'm finding out, well, it, it's a privilege to also become a disciple. We're right. expected to follow that extra step. That extra step. And if I don't do that, then that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, someone would not be doing as dedicated as other people. Very good. But, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, you're giving us a comparison between salvation and discipleship. Mm-hmm. And 
now I realize that although it's not a requirement for salvation, we are expected to follow. Um, right. The other steps. Right. Why do you think? Very good. By the way, she's my friend. Daisy and Alvin. I, I'm kidding. You're you're all our friends here. You're part of the family, Daisy Alvin. But you're, that's the question. That's the big question. Why are we not moving to the right side? Why are not we? Why are we not committing to following Christ in discipleship? Because one could think, oh, I'm already saved, so I don't need to go through that extra step. I'm already saved. I don't have to do the extra step. She's absolutely right. Uh, and then, you, then once you already say then you don't you don't need to do anything going to heaven anyway. That's right. So then it gets into the eighty twenty rule of human beings. <laughs> very eighty percent. If they don't have to do anything, they, they won't. won't they it. won't. But it's the other twenty percent that will. Mm. I don't. I don't know why that is, but yeah. But it just seems that's that's how it works wow. in human nature. You're right, Marty. So, so discipleship is a work, right? Yeah, it's a work. And so there's also the the things that come come with discipleship. Maybe when when we read the word and we're told to love God and, and to love Christ and Christ tells us if you love me, you keep my commandments. <clears throat> and he gives us commandments, you know, that we should follow. Is that not discipleship? Yes. Because, we're, because if we're following those commandments, which is to love one of them, to love the brethren, right. come to church, have fellowship, you know, love, love fellow believers, that's mm-hmm. one thing. That's, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But we're also supposed to, you know, give out the gospel. That's also a part of it. Part of it. Yeah. So, um, you see, to me, it's like moving towards Christian maturity. We don't use the word disciple. Most of us don't use the word disciple. We talk about driving to maturity, Christian maturity, which mm-hmm. entails all of that. So Very good. How, how, how does that line up? Yeah, that sounds biblical right there. But my question is, why are we stagnant? Why are we hovering over just remaining as a Christian? Rick and then Mike and then Everett. Go ahead, Rick. Well, I think quite frankly there are distractions Mm. in the devil's world. Distractions, okay. And I think many people have a tendency to prioritize different things above relationship with Christ. Okay. And uh, they push aside things that they should be doing. You know, for example, staying consistent with studying the Word of God. Right. Excellent. Excellent observation. Mike and then Everett? Would you guys agree that that's a valid concern? That we are lacking the commitment levels? Yeah, not, not necessarily here. That's why I'm saying <laughs> we got high level commitment here. This is a pivot in here. This church here is a pivot. Yeah, the concept is definitely, um, Everett? I think Marty hit it on the, on the spot there when he talked about the David. And Mark said, I said earlier, Mark, that the David made decisions that you make, you make decisions every day to, it seems like saying you can speak to say, go and raise him in knowledge. Mm-hmm. Of that. But that's something, that is a decision that you make between yourself. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know that living in phase two, and I think uh, uh, people things that I've said about going towards maturity. 
right away on the basis of these things that you told me. Right. So that, um, I don't know, maybe uh, I think when pastors teach the uh, the reward factor of glorifying God in phase two, and the means of doing that is becoming mature. This part of it, you're right. Uh, Debbie and then Theron. Debbie? It's not bad at all. Very good observation, Debbie. Thank you. Excellent. Darren? Peter hung around the Lord for three years. And when they asked him, did you, did you know this man? And, and Christ was so sure. He said, I, I bet you'll deny me. I bet you. And Peter did it three times. Yeah. So, we, so and if, if, if Peter's Peter. with the man himself, uh, we, 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 that, that gives us a back door. <laughs> we got a back door. Because if he could do it, we could do it. We could Excellent point. Excellent. Kareem? I think the main response on both sides is the prophet and the vigilant being the individual person. I think in today's society, there's hardly any teaching. It's one thing, you know, once a person is saved, there's that need for that individual to know what's next. And I think a lot of times, if, if it's not going beyond Great, great points, Corey. Daisy? Excellent, David. Thank you, Bill. In my personal experience, for comparison, motivating someone to believe in Christ is taking up verses and deciding should be Yeah. It takes no effort. Right. Okay? The real question is how do you motivate somebody on the other side? We haven't been setting the work for a long time. We're trying to get away from that and see how things work. But, you know, 
how you communicate that to somebody. Mm. He's never really experienced the good side of the faith. Is Very true. Also, it's hard. It's hard to give up things. When you're all human, there's going to be a lot of things that you'll have to give up, even just to <coughs> practice divine perspective. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a lot easier to look at things from the human viewpoint and to respond accordingly. But to do so from divine perspective is not easy. It requires discipline. It requires giving certain things up. True. Excellent. Anybody else have some comments or observations? I think we are finished with this portion of the service here. But I can tell with based on the interaction that this is helpful and meaningful. So, and I agree with Mike that this church here is uh, definitely not one of the ones that I would say is lacking. The, the majority of you under the uh, mentoring of Pastor Dan are on the, I would say, the level of maturity, spiritual maturity. But since we are going through basics, this is part of basics. It is important for us to be clear on discipleship and the cost of discipleship. We're all saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But as Dr. Ryrie had written many years ago, after salvation, now what? So great a salvation in his book. He said, after salvation, now what? Well, we have to go and advance on to discipleship. We have to obey. We have to put him first. It involves a lot of inculcating of Bible doctrine, God's Word, and the application of it, but it requires commitment and a willingness to put Him first. If you're talking about studying, it requires putting Him first and all those vying interests that you may have. It requires being able to put the priority on the person of Christ above all things, as we have clearly seen in these few passages this morning. He must be preeminent. And we need to do the work of of an evangelist, the scripture says. We need to advance the cause of Christ. That's part of discipleship. In fact, when we unpack Matthew 28, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. We're told to go and make disciples. So as we're learning about discipleship, we're supposed to replicate that. We're supposed to make disciples. That's our job. My job is to teach. And uh, your job is to go and make disciples. So uh, we bring honor and glory to the Lord as we commit at a high level because we serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Pretty soon we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. And that birth had forever changed the trajectory of humanity because now people have the opportunity to exercise their volition and to go positive to Jesus Christ and have everlasting life. And then shortly after that, to steward that possession and getting to know the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, knowing the Father and the Son. So having said that, let's close in a word of prayer.
Father, once again, we are grateful for the time invested in your word. I pray, Lord, that as we move through our studies, that they would be meaningful and that that they would challenge us so that we would not be comfortable with where we are, that we would press to higher grounds, following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the realm of discipleship, prioritizing him above all things, including our own our own life and families. And Father, as I've said before, it's not that we don't love our families. It, it doesn't mean that we can't care for our parents, our son, or our daughter. No, that would that would be contrary to the scripture. But Father, we ought to put you first above all things, your son Jesus Christ, as we follow the path of discipleship. It is costly. We've already received salvation, but now it's time to shift gears and to apply doctrine on a consistent basis, apply the word of God in our lives by obeying the commands as set forth in the word of God, following Jesus Christ in discipleship itself. So we thank you, Father, for this time. And I pray that we would leave this church this morning challenged, knowing that we are to put you first above all things, including ourselves, our interests, our preferences, because that is the mark of a disciple, putting priority on you and you alone. We thank you, Father, for the, the, the fact that discipleship does not affect our salvation or our regeneration. It affects our reward, certainly. But we're grateful, Father, that all of this is your love towards us. Phase one, phase two, and phase three salvation is a full package that has been given to us. We look forward to the day that we will experience phase three as a reality. But for now, phase two is the name of the game. It's the objective for all of us as believers in Christ to advance to higher grounds while bringing honor and glory to you. Thank you, Father, for this time. And we ask and pray all of these things through Christ's matchless name in which we pray. Amen.